0: Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Do you remember? Do you remember what God did before there was anything else? When the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit moved over the face of the water. And God spoke and said, Let there be light. And in seven days, it all was finished. And it was so very good. Do you remember?
1: Do you remember that one time when it rained? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and the water rose, and it swallowed up all of the evil that we had made. But Noah was in the boat with the animals, and when the rain stopped, a rainbow appeared. Do you remember that? And do you remember what God said? God said, I promise, from this time on, I will care for you. Remember?
0: Do you remember Abraham, who left his home and all that he knew on faith alone to go to the place where God showed him? Abraham, who with his wife Sarah, had a son when they were both far too old. Do you remember that strange day when Abraham took Isaac, his joy, his future, his beloved son, to the mountain to offer him as a gift to God? Do you remember when God held his wrist and stopped the knife and gave the ram and saved the sun. Do you remember?
1: Do you remember the desert? The furious fleeing at night, carrying nothing except our children, running for our lives because the army was chasing us with their soldiers and their horses. Do you remember? a pillar of cloud and smoke. Remember the seas, how they parted, how we walked through, and on the other side, we found freedom. Do you remember how God delivered us to freedom?
0: Do you remember that the valley as far as the eye could see, was filled with dry bones, the living dead, all of those whose hope was lost. Do you remember that God's spirit, when it blew through that valley, filled those bones with life? They got their sinews first, and then their skin, and then their breath, and then they found their hope. Do you remember?
1: Do you remember what Mark says about the very first Easter morning? When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, who's gonna roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that that stone had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. Who you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, there's the place they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And so they went out. they fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Do you remember? Christ is risen! Christ is risen indeed!
0: do you remember what they said about that first Easter morning? Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Heaven and earth rejoice. Jesus Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Easter, the day on which our tradition says everything turns, everything turns on Easter. Jesus's life turns, all of history turns, our lives turn on Easter. When Jesus is raised, the nature and the reach and the power of love are revealed Easter makes us wonder, is there anything that God's love cannot do? I know that many of you, while you are sympathetic to proclamations like this one, still harbor some doubts. You wonder what really happened on that first Easter morning, and what it means for you, and what it means for all of us. Most years, we can kind of ignore those doubts and those suspicions about the first Easter. We bury them under our uh, fancy hats and the sound of brass ringing through the sanctuary, but the doubts that we have about Easter never really go away. I've been a part of a preaching group for about 15 years or so, and every year, someone in the group gives an Easter sermon, and every single year, After that sermon is given and there is a long and generous silence, one of the senior members of our group, someone who has been preaching Christ is risen for longer than I have been alive, stops and asks a question. He says, what do you really think happened on Easter? It's not a gotcha question. It's sincere. He truly wants to know what happened that morning. We don't know. Our four stories tell different versions of what might have taken place on that day, In some of the stories, there is great joy and delight, a kind of exuberant energy. In three out of the four stories, the risen Christ appears to the disciples, speaks some good words, breaks bread, and has a meal with them. But Mark's resurrection day is much more mysterious. On that morning, Mark says... The women go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. They find that the great stone has been rolled away. There is a mysterious figure inside. The figure tells them what their eyes can plainly see, that Jesus is not in the tomb. And then the figure says, Jesus is risen. Mark is clear that the women are not excited at this news. They are clearly afraid. The Common English Bible translation says they experience terror and dread. Fear, Mark seems to be saying to us, is a very normal Easter feeling. Imagine for a second if all of our Easter celebrations were based around the experience of existential fear. They'd be a lot different, wouldn't they? For one thing, there'd be a lot less pastel. Mark doesn't tell us what causes the women to be so afraid. We are left to wonder. Are they afraid that that someone is cruel and vicious enough to steal Jesus' body and to desecrate that body? Are they afraid that the Roman authorities have set a trap for them? Maybe they're laying in wait. They have lured them there to kill them as well. Or maybe they are afraid that Jesus is alive. Remember now all that they have been through with this Jesus the exhaustion of joy and of heartbreak, the discomfort of befriending strangers and drawing close to those who were sick and welcoming those who were unclean after all of the tests of faith that they had been presented with, after all of their failures, their persistent failures, after Jesus' assurance that to save your own life, you must lose it. And just when they thought that maybe he didn't mean literally, maybe they are afraid that Jesus is alive afraid that God is only just getting started with them. Now, Mark doesn't say that Jesus shows up to ease their fear. He doesn't show up and say their name in a calm, soothing voice. He doesn't sit down with them to break bread or fish or tell them to confidently go make disciples of all nations or to pastorally feed his sheep. The man in the tomb says that Jesus has gone ahead of you to Galilee. Go and you will see him there. What does that mean? Go back to where it began. Go back to where you came from. Go back to the place that Jesus found you. Where he interrupted your life in the first place. Go back to the place where you first heard Jesus talk about God and your mind and your heart were alive. Go back to where you first saw the healing power that comes from his hands. Go back to where you saw the bad spirits cast out of people. Go back to the place where Jesus said the kingdom of God is here right now. And you felt so deeply grounded and also felt your world irrevocably expanded. That is Mark's commission. Go back. Go home. Do you ever go back home? It's not always the easiest thing to do. I love my parents. I do. But when I go back to Ohio, it's complicated, right? Home is where they want you to be who you were, no matter who you are now. Home might be the place that you had to leave. You had to leave in order to truly become yourself. Home could be the place where you were confined and where you were misunderstood. Home could be the place of great misgivings or great failures. For the disciples, home is. Definitely the place where they were both found and also where they got lost. Do you remember how often, as we've read Mark, how often the disciples fail to do exactly the thing that Jesus is asking of them? So caught are they, so caught and bound by old patterns and by familiar ways that they cannot seem to grasp what he means. Go home. Go to the place that you were trying to to get away from. Go to the place of your struggles or your shame. Go to the place that you thought you had transcended or escaped. Our conventional wisdom says that you cannot go home again. But Mark's gospel, Mark's Resurrection story says that you have no choice. I hear this invitation saying that the journey of being a disciple of Jesus is not a journey up the ladder, every round getting higher and higher. I hear it saying that a life with Jesus is not an upward line to some place of spiritual triumph, I hear it saying that the shape of discipleship is circular. To go and then to come back. Following Jesus is, I think, life's greatest adventure. It is to believe in the limitless power of love, the power of compassion, the power of mercy to mend every relationship, and to build durable and inclusive communities. To follow Jesus is to know that, that you are unalterably beloved. It is to feel your capacity to become an agent of real healing in the world, just like Christ. The journey of discipleship is to see the whole world and to see it all as part of one great heaving, groaning, bruised, blessed, crucified, and resurrected body. Following Jesus is life's greatest adventure, but it doesn't lead up and out. It circles back, it goes down and in. It always leads us back to the hard places to the places that perhaps we'd rather not go. So where is your Galilee? Maybe it is literally your home, the town, the people, the family that you come from with its patterns rooted in the old ways, with the people who are the hardest to change. Maybe going back to Galilee is returning to the place of your greatest failure and there searching for a deeper understanding of your own self. Maybe it's a call to mend what and even who was broken in that place. Maybe going back to Galilee is facing up to hard truths about our stubborn and yet unredeemed world, truths that you have decided over the years that you would rather not face, like perhaps the hard truth that uh, that you live as a white person right now on land where people like you, people who look like you once owned black people. Maybe it's the hard truth of relating how you relate to an economic system that has blessed you and even now is destroying the capacity of this earth to sustain living things. What is your Galilee? And what would it feel like to go back to that place tomorrow. The women arrive at the tomb on Easter, and the strange figure in the tomb says, Jesus is not here. He has been raised. He has gone ahead of you. He has gone back to Galilee. Mark doesn't end with a blaze of glory. Resurrection, Mark says, doesn't lift us up and out. Instead, it's like a beacon. It's like a homing device. Resurrection takes us back to the place that we never wanted to see again. But you should know that it will not be the same place when you return. Christ is risen. Love would not let the tomb stay closed. But if you want to see Christ now, if you want to see the risen Christ today, if you want to see that love, go to your Galilee, and even though you are afraid, know that Christ has gone there ahead of you. You will see Christ there. And perhaps you will also see that Easter does change everything. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen.